0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Good morning.
1: That was amazing worship. Praise God. I go to a Baptist church that has some really good worship. But this was special, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, praise God. Uh, As Pastor shared, my name is Rich Freeman. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, let me see everybody from Brooklyn, raise your hands. Okay. How you doing? (laughs) It's taken me quite a long time to lose that Brooklyn. As I speak, you're going to say, no, he really hasn't. But uh, it's really a joy to be with you. Let me share this little story with you. Uh, This uh, man was in the process of robbing a house. House was pitch black. He had scoped it out and he knew there was a lot of good loot. So he began putting the stuff in some sacks and as he was doing he ended up in this study that had a lot of kind of antique type of things and he was putting it in the sack and suddenly he hears this voice almost in a whisper
0: Jesus is gonna get you
1: (laughs) and he kind of stops doesn't hear anything and he kind of exhales but sure enough in a different part of the room he hears the voice, only it's a little louder this time, Jesus is going to get you. Now he's thinking of all the places to rob, I had to pick a haunted house to rob. (laughs) And sure enough, in another part of the room, Jesus is going to get you. Then he remembered he had a cigarette lighter in his pocket, so he flicked the lighter, and when the room lit up, He looked, and there sitting on the far end of the room, sitting on a bookshelf, was this big old parrot. (laughs) And the parrot looked at him and said, Jesus is going to get (laughs) you. And he just kind of laughed and let a deep breath out. And he says, wow, Polly, I thought you were a ghost. And the parrot looked at him and said, my name's not Polly, it's Moses. And he said, Moses, what kind of person names their parrot Moses? The parrot said the same person that named their Rottweiler Jesus. Get him, Jesus! <laughs> that has absolutely nothing with that I'm going to share with you this morning, but I like to tell that story. How many of you like to... Uh, use calendars and navigation systems. You want to be well organized. You want, you want to know where you're going and how you're going to get there and where you're going to end up when you finally do. Well, God has his own calendar, a way to let us know where we are, where we're going and how we're going to get there. And it's found in, of all places, the book of Leviticus. Now, normally when I say the book of Leviticus, I have to tell you, I get these funny looks. If you've ever tried reading the Bible cover to cover, you got through Genesis with no problem. Just a bunch of really good stories. First part of Exodus, same thing. And then all of a sudden you get to the tabernacle and it gets a little redundant. And then you hit this brick wall called Leviticus. But within Leviticus is some incredible nuggets. Besides which Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. And so even these sacrificial redundancies are all part of uh, God's plan to help teach us about Jesus. So what I'd like you to do is open up your Bibles to the book of Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to uh, go to the next slide. We're gonna look at an overview of the feasts of Israel but just the ones that have already been fulfilled, because there's actually seven feasts, four in the spring, three in the fall, and at sunset tonight, so you need to have your seat belts strapped on tight, at sunset tonight will be the Feast of Trumpets. And we're going to see what that, how that is going to be fulfilled in the future. But I want to go through uh, Leviticus 23, the first few uh, Feast. And beginning in verse 4. So let's read. These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, there is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So there's two feasts here. But today in traditional Judaism, they're celebrated as one eight-day feast called Passover. But it's actually two separate feasts. Passover is one day, and it's a picture of redemption by the blood of the Lamb. I love that song, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. That is a picture of Passover. The children of Israel were saved and redeemed out of slavery in Egypt by that, the blood of the Lamb. And the story of Passover, as you know, the last plague is coming, the death of the firstborn. And when uh, Moses was told by God to tell the Israelites to place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their houses, when the destroyer came, the angel of death, when he would see that uh, the blood on the door, what would he do to that house? He would pass over that house and the people... In the house, covered by the blood, would be saved by the blood of the Lamb. They were not saved because they were Israelites. So that's very important. So Passover is a picture of redemption, salvation by the blood of the Lamb. And as the children of Israel were redeemed from slavery in Egypt, so now we have been redeemed from slavery to sin by the blood of the Lamb. And only by personally applying the blood of the Lamb can we be saved. That's the gospel in a nutshell, and it's fulfilling Passover. So I believe that Jesus died on Passover. What we celebrate as Good Friday would have been Passover Day. He would have celebrated the last Passover meal with his disciples, what we commonly call the Last Supper on Thursday evening, because the Jewish day always begins at sunset the night before. And so Passover, unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is a picture of Jesus' sinlessness. Leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible. The Feast of Unleavened Bread tells us that unless Jesus was that spotless, perfect Lamb of God, sinless, he couldn't have been the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a picture of Jesus' sinlessness. We have a third feast, all connected to Passover, and it begins in verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land, which I'm going to give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So this is the feast of first fruits. It takes place on the day after the Passover Sabbath. So if I'm a traditionalist. If Jesus died on Friday, the Sabbath would have been Friday night. The day after the Sabbath, it would have ended Saturday night. So the day after the Sabbath would have been Sunday. Did anything unusual happen on the Sunday after Jesus died? What was that? The resurrection. And so the resurrection is a fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Christ, the first fruits of the dead so that we have, in essence, a picture, if you will, of our resurrection from the fact that Jesus is the first fruits. His resurrection tells us that our resurrection is gonna come later on, and if you wanna know what your resurrection's going to be like, Jesus had flesh, he had bone, he had a meal with his followers, and he could appear in a locked room instantaneously. Just like that. It is gonna be cooler than Star Trek, I promise. <laughs> Be me up, Scotty. (laughs) And so the Feast of First Fruits was always the day that the resurrection was celebrated until we come to the 4th century. And in the 4th century, in the year 325, was something called the Council of Nicaea. And in that council, uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine purported to be a Christian. I have my questions about that. But Constantine was an anti-Semite to the core. And he decided that he did not want the resurrection, the most important day in the Christian calendar, to be connected in any way with Passover, even though it was always considered all three of those feasts were called Passover. And yet Constantine wanted no connection. So instead, what he did was he changed the timing of it, instead of on the day after the Passover Sabbath, he said we would celebrate the resurrection following the Sunday after the first full moon of the spring. Interestingly, it's called the Paschal full moon. And to make sure that the Jewish people understood that this had nothing to do with them, he named the day after the Babylonian goddess of fertility, whose name was Ishtar. And that's where we get Easter Sunday. And if you wonder where the Easter bunny comes from and the chicks and the geese and all of those things, they're all fertility symbols that were incorporated uh, with Ishtar worship. Now, that being said, almost nine, probably nine out of 10 times, Easter Sunday will coincide with the day after the Passover Sabbath. Every once in a while you'll notice that Easter Sunday will be early and Passover, Jewish people will celebrate Passover later, and so what happens, we end up remembering his resurrection before we commemorate his death. A little backwards, but that's okay. I'm not telling you to stop celebrating Easter. That's not my intent, just so you understand where all of this happened. Turn now to verse 15. This is the fourth spring feast that has already been fulfilled. It says, You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, that's the Feast of first fruits. there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. So I want the math geniuses to speak out. Seven times seven? 49. Very good. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. So the day after the Sabbath, seven sevens, so it's one plus 49, 50. And in Greek, 50 is Pentecost. So this is how we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, but it's actually in Hebrew, Shavuot, it's the Feast of Sevens or the Feast of Weeks. And there's a very interesting offering that takes place, a tradition that goes all the way back to the time of Moses, remembering that this feast day is celebrated and fulfilled in Acts chapter two. When the Holy Spirit came upon the new group of believers that we call the church, the world was never the same. So, the birth of the church fulfills the Feast of Pentecost or Shavuot. And I want you to listen to this. This is verse 17. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering. By the way, if you've ever seen televangelists say, Give the Lord a wave offering, and then goes like this, that's not a wave offering. <laughs> a wave offering is like we worship the priest lifts up whatever he's offering to the Lord that is for the Lord only. So this is two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephah, that's a measurement of flour. They shall be a fine flour, listen to this, baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. So this is a second first fruits, two loaves of bread baked with leaven. What did I just say leaven's a picture of in the Bible? So what on earth are these two loaves? Well, they represent the two groups in the body of of believers, Israel and the nations, Jew and Gentile, one in the Messiah. And who are we? Look around. We are sinners, saved by grace. That's the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks or, or the Feast of Pentecost. We are now in what's called the harvest time. The harvest time is, coincides with the church age. And so Jesus himself said in, in John chapter 4, uh, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, pl- pray for laborers, And as we go into the world to share the gospel with all people, we sure do need laborers. Amen. And so we are in the harvest time. That is going to end with the next feast, which prophetically is going to be fulfilled in the future, as you'll say. But I want you to see how it's presented in Leviticus. So turn now to verse 23 of Leviticus 23. And we're going to look at this feast of trumpets in the scriptures. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work on it, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. And so notice very carefully, there's really nothing there. It's a rest, a Sabbath, A reminder or a memorial and it's remembered by blowing the trumpet actually it's the blowing of the ram's horn the shofar and so this is the feast of trumpets and the ancient rabbis as they looked at the Torah tried to figure out what on earth is this remembering because there didn't seem to be anything prior to Moses that fit And so they began saying, well, maybe instead of remembering something that happened in the past, it's remembering something that's going to happen in the future. And so they began trying to come up with something that happened after Moses that involved the blowing of trumpets. And the best that they could come up with is the battle of Jericho. If you remember the story in the book of Joshua, they marched around the city seven times, and on the seventh time they marched seven more times, and then what did they do? They blew the trumpet, and as we sing in the old hymn, the walls came tumbling down. They were on the right track, but unfortunately they didn't have the luxury of having the New Testament, because what this is looking forward to is something in the New Testament. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And just to give you a little background on this, and this is going to be our text for the remainder of our time. When Paul wrote this, he had spent, if you look in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, he spent three Sabbaths with this uh, new church plan, if you will, in Thessalonica, which is in in modern-day Greece. And he taught a lot of different things, and one of the things that he obviously taught was on this particular Event and as he taught it there was a very very grave misunderstanding that happened and the misunderstanding was this the believers in Thessalonica unfortunately thought that Paul said this would only be for those alive at the time Jesus returned and So as their loved ones died as believers They began grieving because they thought that they would miss out on Jesus return and so Paul thought it was so important that he, in his first letter to them, corrected the misunderstanding of the teaching. And so I'm going to read through the whole passage, and then we're going to look at it verse by verse. So this is verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise First, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the classic passage on what's commonly called the rapture of the church, the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. And so what I'd like to do is go through it verse by verse, Keeping in mind, I want to give you a little bit of background. Tonight, at sunset, Jewish people around the world are going to be celebrating something called Rosh Hashanah, uh, translated into English, the head of the year. This is the Jewish New Year. Notice that it says in Leviticus, the seventh month, the first day of the seventh month. So what happened? Why are they celebrating as the New Year? because when they came out of captivity, captivity in Babylon, they adopted some of the Babylonian civil traditions, and one of them was that the new year would be celebrated in the fall. Typically, the new year is celebrated in the spring, I should say biblically. Uh, how many of you are from the north? One of my favorite times of the year would be late winter when some of the early blooming flowers would start to bloom and then you might catch a glimpse of a robin redbreast. What did you know was happening? You knew that spring was coming and everything would start up new and fresh. So you could see why biblically this would be the celebration of the new year. But Jewish people are celebrating it in the fall because of uh, these Babylonian civil traditions. That's basically it. And if you tell a Jewish person, well, you know, the new year is supposed to be in the spring. They'll look at you like you have two heads. <laughs> uh, just that's, that's where it comes from. So this is the Feast of Trumpets. And it begins, again, Paul trying to clear up this uh, misunderstanding. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, the, the Greek word actually means to be ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who are asleep. This is talking about believers who died prior to Jesus coming back. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So Paul wants them to understand uh, that they shouldn't grieve the way people grieve for unbelievers. Now, in the, in the years that I pastored, I unfortunately had quite a few elderly people in my congregations and we did a lot of funerals. But the celebration of a believer at their funeral should be so positive and so celebratory that it's like a graduation ceremony. And so, because of that, sometimes, unfortunately, there's the misunderstanding that Christians shouldn't grieve because we're celebrating the homegoing of our loved one. But what that doesn't take into consideration is that there's still a void in our heart. My mom died three months ago. She was 90 years old. she just made it to her 90th birthday, and she was a believer. And so we had a wonderful memorial service that my unbelieving sister even watched uh, by the internet. And it was, it was a wonderful time. That being said, every morning, when I go to our office in Boynton Beach, I drive by the nursing home that my mother was, and I get this feeling in the pit of my stomach. I still miss her. And that's a healthy part of grieving, to acknowledge that it's still there, there's still feelings there. And if you've lost a loved one, by all means, grieve. That's, Paul's not saying, don't grieve. He says, don't grieve like those who have no hope. I have to tell you, as a Jewish man, I have been to way too many funerals of people who died without Jesus. It's brutal. When the rabbi says, if you keep them in your heart, they will live forever. That's not hope. And yet, we have the hope of knowing that our loved ones one day are going to be part of this amazing event that we call the rapture of the church. So let's move on. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many of you believe that? Let me see. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, Pastor Troy wants to talk to you later. (laughs) If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So what's Paul saying? The reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection should be the catalyst for you believing in this future event. Just as you believe that he died and rose again, you should also believe that he's coming back one day. And this is a picture of the ancient Jewish wedding. During the ancient Jewish wedding, the bridegroom actually goes away. After all the legal papers are signed, the bridegroom goes away to prepare a place for his bride. So in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And when it's ready, what's he going to do? I will return for you. That's what this is a picture of, the coming back, the return of the bridegroom for the bride. But this is not, I want to make this very clear, this is not the second coming. That comes later on. Because you'll see in this event, uh, the Lord never gets to earth. We meet him in the clouds. Okay? And so if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And notice there is a priority, again because of the misunderstanding, there is a priority for the dead in Messiah, for the dead in Christ. Uh, Because he says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord Will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So when this event happens, it's going to happen first for those who've already died. Now that brings up a lot of questions. What about someone who was cremated? What about someone who was killed in 9-11 and they never even found any DNA? What about someone lost at sea and they became food for the sharks? See all the questions that could come up? And so what's going to happen is the dead in Christ will rise first and they are going to receive new resurrected bodies. Let me try to make this as clear as possible. God is God and I'm not. How he's going to do that, I don't know, but the same God who created the universe by a spoken word certainly doesn't need DNA to give you a new resurrected body. So don't worry about it. (laughs) Notice how Paul words this. He said, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So he got direct revelation from Jesus that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul wrote this as though he believed that Jesus would return in his lifetime. Now I share with you that I'm from New York. I have the confession to make. And for those of you from New York, you'll understand what I'm saying. New Yorkers are cynical. (laughs) (laughs) We have to be. That's how we survive. And so as the cynical New Yorker that I am, I look at this and I say, Paul wrote this somewhere in the middle 60s of the first century. And we are now in the year 2019. So that's about 1950 years. Paul, I think you miscalculated. (laughs) But what was Paul trying to teach us? A very important lesson that even some call a doctrine. It's called imminency. Paul taught that we need to live our lives as Christians believing that every morning that we wake up, this is the day that Jesus is returning for us. It changes the way we live. It changes how we live out our Christian faith. Because if there are things that we can wait for, as an example, the rebuilding of a temple, then we have the luxury of sitting on our hands and waiting. But if this can happen at any moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says, then we need to be ready. There's a lot of songs that are written about this event. And one of the songs was by by an older contemporary Christian artist named Larry Norman. And he wrote the song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Because it talks about people understanding that we need to be ready. We need to get our act in order. We need to get our relationship with God all straightened out. And so, I ask you the question, are you ready? Do you have your act in order? Have you made your peace with God? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because if you haven't, I got to tell you, you're going to be left behind, and it's not a pleasant place to be. So let's move on. Verse 16, and this is a description of the event verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Now Jesus right now is in a very lofty position seated at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest interceding for us. And uh, how many of you like the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? They have a song, it's, it's my favorite of their songs called Midnight Cry. And in that song, the Father says to the Son, Son, it's time. And there's going to be a time when the Father says to the Son, speaks to Jesus, Son, it's time. And Jesus is going to leave that lofty position and descend from heaven. Now, bear with me. Go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. This is the very last time that Jesus was on earth. And it's here that he's, he, this is the risen Jesus. And this is when he gives his followers their final marching orders, where he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. And he mentions four places. Do you remember them? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the outermost parts of the earth. What Jesus was saying uh, was that they should continue to go to the Jews, not just in Jerusalem, but further out even into the wilderness, then to the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans were viewed as the traditional Hebrews, the 100% Jews as half-breeds, because they were half-Israeli and half uh, Assyrian. And when the northern tribes were taken into Assyria, they came back into the land with this group of people that became known as the Samaritans. And the Samaritans adopted some different culture than the traditional Jews in that they did not worship in Jerusalem at the temple, but worshipped in a place called Mount Gerizim and didn't believe in the whole Old Testament, only the first five books of Moses. And so there was a lot of anger towards one another. They didn't like each other. Jesus is telling us that as the gospel goes to the Samaritans, we ought to think about people, even those that we don't like, to share the gospel with. Think about that person that you work with. And you'll have a conversation with God. God, I know how you are. If I share the gospel with that person and they accept you as their Lord and savior, then I'm going to have to spend eternity with them. (laughs) (laughs) And so we need to share the gospel with everybody, even the people that sometimes we don't like. And then he said something that was absolutely, totally radical to the uttermost parts of the earth. He expected these Jewish followers to bring the gospel to Gentiles. You hear me? To Gentiles. How many of you are Gentile? Raise your hand if you're not sure you are. (laughs) Aren't you glad the gospel went to the Gentiles? And so it took them a while to figure out how, but eventually the gospel went to the Gentiles. When Jesus finished that, said after he said these things, says he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, any of you ever go to a park with one of your children with a helium balloon, and the balloon got loose and started floating away? What did you do? You watched it till it disappeared, very intently, probably, And so it says, as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing, obviously angels, stood beside them. they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Now again, my cynical New Yorker kicks in. This is a silly question. (laughs) Jesus just bodily floated up into the clouds. And we're watching him as he goes away. What kind of question is that? <laughs> but listen to what they say. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, into the clouds, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So just as he ascended into the clouds, he's going to descend into the clouds. The Lord himself will descend from heaven, not to earth yet, but into the clouds. Back to First Thessalonians. Three sounds associated with the Lord returning. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Remember, this is the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. So the shout. Can we see any other place in the Scriptures where we can figure out what the shout is? And the answer is yes. In John chapter 11, Jesus' greatest earthly miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead after four days. You ever wonder why he waited four days? Because the rabbis taught that the soul and the body stayed connected for three days. And then After three days, on the fourth day, the soul left the body. So Lazarus wouldn't have only been dead, he would have been very dead, and only the Messiah could raise someone up who's been dead for four days. That's why he waited, to prove who he was. And so, you know, the story, he first comes to Martha and then to Mary, and they both basically rebuke him for waiting because they knew... His ministry was to heal people, and he was healing strangers, and here was a family that he had a particular affection for, and when the sisters got word to Jesus that their brother was dying, they expected him to drop everything and immediately come to heal their brother, but he didn't, and when he comes and goes to the tomb, uh, how many of you have memorized the verse, Jesus wept? Why did he weep? Not because Lazarus died. Because Martha and Mary and all of the professional mourners and everybody that was with with them had no idea what he was about to do and who he was, by and large. The Martha and Mary did. But the people around him didn't. So he wept over the fact that they were clueless. And so he comes to the tomb, and if you remember... He says to Martha, remove the stone. And Martha, who was a very practical person, in her best King James English, said to Jesus, what? He stinketh. (laughs) He's been dead for four days and his body is decomposing. There's going to be a bad smell. Jesus tells him to roll the stone away, praise to the Father, he tells the Father, I'm, I know what you, you could do. I'm not doing it because I'm, I'm asking you to do it. I'm doing it so they hear me asking you so that when it happens, they'll understand. And then he goes to the mouth of the tomb, and what does he do? He says he cries out with a loud voice, with a shout, Lazarus! Well, oh, you got an echo in here. <laughs> Come forth! Now, this is one of the times that I would have liked to have been at an event. Because when they heard those feet shuffling, because he was completely wrapped head to toe, and here he comes, his face is completely covered, just like a mummy, and he says to someone, remove the wrapping. How would you have liked to have been that person, not knowing what you're going to (laughs) find? But there was Lazarus as good as new. So I believe we can ascertain from this that the shout is Jesus calling us by name. Whether we're alive, whether we've already died, we are going to hear Jesus call us. Now I have to tell you that I have been asked at a Bible conference a very logical question. Won't that take a long time? I mean, if we figure out how many people are believers since the time of the cross till now, we're talking at least hundreds of millions, if not billions. Again, God is God. Don't overcomplicate things. So we're going to hear our name called. That is going to be so cool. And so the second sound is the voice of the archangel. And the angels are organized like a military. The archangels are kind of the generals. And Michael is not the only archangel. Gabriel's probably an archangel and others as well. And so the archangels are going to call the lower angels to minister to all of the people who are going to be involved in this event. And where do I get that from? In the 16th chapter of Luke, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, when Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom, it says he was ministered to by the angels. And so I believe that the archangels are going to tell the lower angels to minister to all these people who are involved. And then the last sound, the trumpet of God. Now, in a traditional Jewish celebration of this feast, the very last thing that takes place is the sounding of the shofar, the ram's horn. And it's usually, there are a number of different sounds that they'll play, but the very last sound is called a takiyah gadol. Takia takiya is a loud, uh, long blast. But takiyah gadol is an extra long blast, and if the person blowing the shofar has a good set of lungs, it could last for a while, and it is really powerful. to to sit in the midst of that. It's a call to gathering. So try to imagine that you are in a place, maybe your workplace, school, you name it, where you are with a bunch of unbelievers. And suddenly the first sound happens. You hear your name and Jesus shouting and it startles you. And you look up and nobody's reacting. And so all you could do is say, did you hear that? And immediately you hear the next sound, the voice of the archangel. And it's going to probably be like that. And you look at them and you say, did you hear that? And now they're looking at you like you're crazy. Hear what? and then that loud blast of the ram's horn, the tekiah gadol, that call to gathering, and you look at them and say, come on, you had to have heard that, and you're gone. Disappear all over the world, millions upon millions of people all disappearing at the same time. What are they gonna say? Well, let me tell you, I was online at Publix, at the cashier, you know, on the line, and the shelving had some of the the great newspapers of our country (laughs) along the side, and this particular uh, National Enquirer had a picture of a flying saucer on the cover with kind of a elongated E.T. kind of character, kind of a long skinny extraterrestrial, and standing next to him was Elvis, (laughs) President Kennedy, and Michael Jackson. I don't know why those three were picked, but they were with the E.T. guy. And so there's your answer. Space aliens came and took away all those nasty intolerant Christians so that we can have the utopia and get to hear Elvis and Michael Jackson again, <laughs> that they wouldn't have allowed it to happen. You could see it. And so as you look at the end of this, following the trumpet of God, it says the dead in Christ will rise first. And so this is going to happen to those who've already died. Do you know what the most expensive cemetery real estate is in the world? The Mount of Olives. Because that's where Jesus is going to return. So people, not kind of understanding the two events, want to have a front row seat when Jesus returns. (laughs) And so it costs $35,000 for a very small plot that will barely cover a, a, a casket. But the dead in Christ will rise first. What that means is everybody who's died since the cross, which means John the Baptist is not part of this particular resurrection because he died before the cross. Everybody who died since the cross, those in Christ, this is only for the church, they will rise first. Get new resurrected bodies. What are those resurrected bodies going to look like The Bible's really kind of silent on this, other than the fact that if Jesus is the first fruits and he was 33 years old when he died, then maybe we'll look like Jesus did and we'll look like we did when we were 33. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. (laughs) But we don't really know. You know, that's a question people ask. My mom was 90. Is she going to spend eternity as a 90-year-old woman? I don't think so. I I think there's going to be a, a very different look. But again, the Bible is basically silent on this. So the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain, same words, will be caught up together with them, where? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so that word that phrase caught up is the based on the latin word rapturo that's where we get the word rapture from Uh, and now understand that a good deal of christianity doesn't believe that this is a separate event believes that this is part of the second coming i think if you take it literally you can see that it's not because very clearly as we're caught up together with them In the clouds. Where do we meet the Lord? In the air. Later on, he returns to earth. It says his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives from Zechariah chapter 12. So this event, when it happens, we get caught up. If we're fortunate enough to be alive at the time, that'll be so cool to disappear, to be caught up together with the Lord to meet all of our loved ones who've already passed, to be with the Lord. And it says, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Look at your neighbor and tell them that, we shall always be with the Lord. I mean, that's the good news, isn't it? If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will always be with the Lord. So I was so excited when I first heard this. I had to tell my loved ones. So I have one sibling, a younger sister. And I said to my sister, her name is Jackie, and she's still not a believer. I said, Jackie, let's have lunch. I have something really important I want to tell you. And so I thought this was so exciting that if anything was going to convince her to turn to Jesus, this would be it. So this is how I said it. I said, Jackie, I want you to understand something. One day, everybody that believes the way I believe may disappear all at the same time. And I want you to know something, this is very important, pay attention. I want you to know something, that it's not space aliens who took us away, but (laughs) Jesus came and took us away. And so when this happens, don't believe that it was space aliens. And my sister's eyes got real wide. (laughs) And I could see my sister looking at me, and I knew that she was so positive that her big brother had lost his mind. (laughs) You could just see it in her face. And so maybe you're thinking, if I tell my unbelieving loved ones, my family, this, they're going to think I'm crazy. I got news for you. If you're living for Jesus, they already do think you're crazy. (laughs) You might as well confirm it for them. (laughs) So let's land this plane. What's the application? that last verse, Paul wants us to be to understand something very important, we have a tendency to view life through our circumstances, to view God through our circumstances. Good circumstances, good God. Bad circumstances, God must be asleep today. Instead of recognizing that, instead of looking at God, through the lens of our circumstances. We need to look at our circumstances through the lens of our God. And regardless of what's going on in your life, God has a plan for you, and there's an end game to this plan. And this is the end game, where you're going to be with him forever. If you're a believer in Jesus, no matter what you're going through, nobody could take this away from you. And maybe life is hard right now, but understand, this is real. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. And as we worshiped and rejoiced in who he was, there's going to come a time when we're going to worship him as we sang face to face. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that. Amen. It doesn't get any better than this. Amen? Amen. So I'd like you to do me a quick favor, if you don't mind. You should have received one of these, you only needed one per family as you were coming in. Could you take it out? If you don't have one, could you raise your hand? So while they're giving those out, let me just share a few resources that we have. This is a calendar that Chosen People Ministries puts out. And this happens to be a very important year for us. We're celebrating 125 years of ministry. Founded in 1894 by a Hungarian rabbi named Leopold Kohn, who uh, came to know Jesus in the streets of lower Manhattan and founded a ministry in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn called the Brownsville Mission to the Jews that eventually became known as the American Board of Missions to the Jews and now Chosen People Ministries. This is a wonderful picture of some historic events from our ministry. And let me just share one thing with this calendar that's, that's really important. How many of you like to study Bible prophecy? Bible prophecy cannot be studied with a regular calendar, January, February, March, a Gregorian calendar. You need to have a Hebrew calendar. And so what we've done is taken a regular calendar, the Gregorian calendar, and superimposed the Hebrew calendar with it so that you have both calendars and can see when the prophetic events, like the Feast of Trumpets, which happens tonight at sunset. And so now I'm going to say something, Pastor. I hope I'm not overstepping. The f- spring feasts all were fulfilled on exactly the, on the same day. Tonight is the Feast of Trumpets. Does that mean God can only have this event on the Feast of Trumpets? I don't know. I know that the Bible says nobody knows the hour or the day. And so if God wants to have it on a day other than the Feast of Trumpets, as I'm being raised up to be with the Lord, I'm not gonna say, but it was supposed to come on the Feast of Trumpets. (laughs) I would prefer to believe that this could happen at any moment. So this is the next prophetic event. And so understand uh, the importance of of the calendar. And then a few books that I I think you'll find helpful. This is written by the president of our ministry, Mitch Glazer and his wife, Uh, called the Fall Feast of Israel. And this is just the three feasts, the two feasts that I didn't talk about was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And those will also be fulfilled, but I believe that this event happens first. So if you want a a big theological word, I hold to what's called a a pre-trib rapture position. I hope that's okay. So this is a a great resource, called the the Fall Feast of Israel. This is a brand new book uh, written by Dr. Randall Price, who's an archaeologist and has written a number of really good books. But this just came out called What Should We Think About Israel? And then um, the Feast of Passover is a very, very key event, the first one. And this is a book that the ministry wrote together, I have a chapter in this. Uh, paralleling Exodus 12 and John 12, uh, the first Passover and the last Passover that Jesus celebrated, how they parallel one another. Uh, But if you want to be an expert on Passover, this is a book that I would highly recommend uh, called Messiah and the Passover. And there are other books. I wrote a book called The Heart of the Apostle that's on the table, um, a book on Israel called... uh, Uh, Understanding the Arab-Israeli Conflict by Dr. Michael Rodelnik and some others. So be sure to visit my wife at the book table. So you should all have one of these. Open it up. And then we're going to do an ancient Jewish tradition together. Would you all like to do an ancient Jewish tradition with me? Yes? Okay. It's called the tearing of the brochure. Very ancient tradition. So here's what I want you to do. Now, this is important, pay attention. So fold this a couple of times, but don't tear it. And then at the count of three, we're gonna tear this together. And if you do this right, it's gonna make this really neat sound like the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But you have to do it right, so pay attention. Here we go. At the count of three, everybody ready? Here we go. One, two, three. A little slow. <laughs> this is for you to keep. This is all about chosen people ministry. Is a little testimony, my wife and I. Uh, this is an involvement card. This is a way for you to get our prayer letter and a chosen people newsletter on a monthly basis. It's also a way for you to be involved with the ministry financially. So, if the Lord is leading you, there's going to be an offering. Uh, to taken at the end of the service. If the Lord is leading you to give to Chosen People Ministries, this is a way for you to indicate that as you fill that out. And on the back is some uh, information about uh, short-term ministry opportunities, uh, our annual tour to Israel, uh, which takes place the end of October. So this one's a little late, but next year I've already spoken to Pastor Troy. For those of you who've never been to Israel, I would love to have a group of you come with me next year. And just uh, one other thing, uh, the, weekend, the week after the Super Bowl, Super Bowl is in Miami this year, the week after the Super Bowl we're going to have an outreach in South Florida. And so maybe some of you would like to be involved in that. I'll let Pastor Troy know about that and uh, uh, you can be involved with our outreach in South Florida. So be sure to fill this out. Later on, Pastor, it's can take an offering for the ministry and be sure to put these cards in uh, with the offering. So as we get ready to close in prayer, I want to ask you a question. If the Lord comes tonight on the Feast of Trumpets, are you ready? Yes, sir. Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Yes. Because if you haven't, as everybody who's accepted Jesus gets caught up to be with the Lord in the air, you're going to be reading about it about planes crashing because there's no pilots, about cars crashing, it's gonna be complete chaos. And literally hell on earth is gonna begin. And out of all of that chaos, a political leader is going to be raised up who's gonna come across just like a messiah. Only he's gonna be the anti messiah, the antichrist. And it's gonna be a horrible time. You don't want to be left behind. So today, if you've not yet asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, what a great time to accept the Lord just before the Feast of Trumpets takes place. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are so thankful for your great faithfulness, for your great love for us, that even while we were yet sinners, our Messiah. Christ died for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And Lord, I lift up this church to you. I pray uh, for their outreach all throughout this community and around the world. And I pray if there's anyone here who has not yet asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, who's not yet made that big step, who doesn't want to be left behind I pray that even now you would be speaking to their hearts if you're here today and you would want to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior I'm gonna say a very short prayer and I'd ask you to pray it with me you don't have to pray it out loud God will hear you even in the quiet of your heart but if you would like to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior just pray this prayer with me dear God I recognize that I'm not perfect. And I realize that the Bible says that makes me a sinner. I know I can't pay for those sins by doing good works. I need a sin bearer, I need a savior. I believe that Jesus is my savior. I believe when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he did so for me. So I ask, Lord, that you would come into my heart and save me from my sins. I thank you, Lord, that I could look forward to your soon coming again, and ask, Lord, that you help me to live for you by the power of your Spirit. And I pray this and give thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would ask you not to keep it a secret. Come forward, let one of the pastors know that you prayed. I'm sure the church will have something that they'll want to give to you to help you with your next steps. So by all means, Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Amen. God bless you.
0: She stand with us. Can I ask some of my prayer partners to come down to the front now? And Aaron's there, good. Um, Aaron's gonna lead us just as we worship the Lord as we close this morning. And our prayer partners are here to pray with you about whatever is happening in your life. If you've prayed that prayer this morning with, with our brother Rich. If you've asked Jesus to come in and be your Savior and your Lord, let us know. Let us rejoice with you in that. We're here to do that. Uh, If there's anything else going on in your life, any struggle, just things, say, I don't know what to do with this. Let us pray with you. Let us try to encourage you in some way. Our prayer partners are here to do that. Um, And again, I want to thank you for, uh, I enjoy listening and watching you respond when we have guests. And thank you for the work of the Lord in you. I appreciate it so much. I'm grateful just for who you are as a people. Um, I'm grateful for your desire to learn. I'm grateful for your heart to be engaged in the work of the Lord. And we'll always be grateful for that. I I give God praise and you thanks for that. Lord, we commit all of this to you today. Everything that has transpired, everything that you have done thank you for our brother. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact, Lord, we are looking forward to the day when we will see you face to face. Lord, it is a blessing to be reminded again of that good news, of that hope, of that comfort. And so we pray today that you would comfort your people. And those, Lord, here today, they don't don't even know where to go for comfort, that they would turn to you and they would reach out to their brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.